This is Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast that focuses on finding the Savior in the Old Testament, and then how we might teach it in family or ward settings. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is joining me to make sure that we stay on the rails. We are recording the podcast from the Student Lounge at the Pocatello Institute. So thanks for joining us for our lunchtime discussion of this week's Come Follow Me Scripture Block. Okay. Try that again. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, which will be all of you except for us, uh, we just filmed the first five minutes of this and then realized that the Looked microphone wasn't, it, yeah, going. wasn't going. So it was all dark on the camera side. So let's start this over again. Let's do it. Welcome to the last <laughs> week of the Old Testament and Come Follow Me. Uh, just seems like just a couple minutes ago we were talking about how excited, <laughs> both excited and sorry we are to see the Old Testament come to an end yeah. and how uh, excited we are for the New Testament because... With a better understanding of the Old Testament under our belts, next year as we get into the New Testament stuff, uh, we'll be looking back mm-hmm. to a lot of these things and we'll have a foundation to study the life of Christ and the teachings of those apostles. Uh, it, it's been said a bunch of times, and I, I really believe it's true. The better you understand one book of Scripture, uh, like in like the Old Testament, for instance, the better you're going to understand the New Testament. You understand with the, the people that Jesus is interacting with that you you start to see things through their eyes. You start to see things through Jesus' eyes and through the apostles and the disciples and the converts. And the, the, the context all opens up, and, and that works the same for all the books of Scripture. Now that you understand when Jesus is talking about the prophets, you just read them. Yep. You've just finished them up. And, and so what a powerful way to continue that Scripture study. Yeah. And, I, and to me— and. The really cool thing about the last year has been, it kind of seems like the Old Testament really is a key to all of the other books of scriptures. Yeah. Maybe not the Doctrine and Covenants as much, Agreed. but definitely the Book of Mormon and the New mm-hmm. Testament. Yep. Like, you, you can get a lot out of the New Testament and a lot out of the Book of Mormon isolated in your own study, but with the foundation of the Old Testament, so many of those things start yeah. to pop up. You start to, I, all of a sudden, King Benjamin's talk with the tents facing the tent. Like that is the Feast of the Tabernacles. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, by itself, that's just a really cool insight. And we're like, oh, general conference, pitch your tents towards yeah. the prophets. And But in the context of and, and remembering that this is an Old Testament people who are just out of, you know, out of place, so to speak. You have the Feast of Sukkot going on. Yep. Yeah. 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 So that that is that is going to be kind of, I think, where the benefit of this last year will really pay off is over the next two years when we do the New Testament in the Book of Mormon and we start to see these these themes pop up that we've never seen before because as a church, you know, maybe individually some of us have, but as a church, we've never studied the Old Testament as well as we have and as thoroughly as we have the yeah. last year. Personally and collectively, yeah. both those. And and uh, last night, uh, we may bring up a few of the things that we talked about. Last night, we had the opportunity to go talk to uh, Brian's ward, the youth, and, and some of the older, uh, the adults as well, and uh, talked about family history. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and connected it to Malachi, and that's a big part of Malachi. Malachi is famous because of chapter three of tithing, tithing chapter four yep. because of of uh, family history and and turning the hearts of the fathers, fathers to the children, vice versa. But you pointed out that chapters one and two really have a nice thread that connect all of it together. And as you're mentioning, uh, what a great connection to the doctrine and covenants as well, and about temple worship and about ordinances and covenants. And and I mean that's the beautiful part of the gospel. It's it's not the Old Testament is different than everything else. It they all connect. Yeah. If you're looking for the right things. And when you and 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 I do think there's something that's academically there's a criticism of 
well, you're seeing those things because you mean to. And I, I used to try and defend that. I used to be kind of yeah. an apologetic about that. But no, look here. Look, and, and now I've just kind of gotten to the point where I'm like, yeah, I look for it. Like, yep. that's good scripture study. I'm supposed to. I, that's, I'm starting with the end in mind. That's, that's what right. I, yeah. I want to see that in there. And so, I, and as we talk about just the book of Malachi itself, like, you really want a powerful concluding chapter or yeah. cha- book to your to your masterpiece if you're the Old Testament prophets and Malachi is a great one contextually he falls into line you know sometime after the the temple has been constructed in Jerusalem uh, he's seen the ebb and the flow of the enthusiasm of the Jews uh, he's seen them get excited about building a temple and then stop and then and, and and now they've got the temple built and there's this you know there had to be this super incredible enthusiasm about temple ordinances and now here Malachi is living um, 80, 100 years after that. And his day, the people have lost that enthusiasm for the newness of the temple has worn off. Uh, I mentioned last night with our ward, and I, I've thought about this a lot. And at first I was irritated with other people, but I've turned that introspectively into me. And we, there was a time in, in Utah County when we were going to the temple, my wife and I regularly. Uh, and then one Sunday or one Monday or one Tuesday, you know, we our trip was Thursday. So we'd go Thursday and probably Tuesday or Wednesday, kind of the, the, the Mormon rumor mill started going. And all of a sudden, everybody started talking about changes in the temple. And I didn't think much of it. We were just, Thursday came along and we were headed to the temple like we always did. Mm-hmm. And we got there and we were met with a desk out front and a person giving you a, a time when you could come back and get a locker and go sit in the chapel or stand in a line inside of the temple to get into the endowment. And, and I walked away, and I remember being a little frustrated because why is everybody, like, why now? Where were you people? Uh, what a bunch of hypocrites. What, what a bunch of fair-weather Mormons, you know? And, I, and, and it was just so interesting that I think that's what's going on with Malachi. I think Malachi's day, you've got a group of people who they've lost the excitement of the temple, and there's not much new about it, and so... There, well, he starts off. Well, I guess let's just jump in. In verse 6, he says, A son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If I then be a father, where is mine honor? And I find it fascinating and insightful that the Lord, that, that Malachi puts that first. That he doesn't reverse those. That God is not a master first and then a father. He mentions the father. That's what he wants to be first. Mm-hmm. What he would prefer more than anything else is that we honor him like a parent. And he says, I want to be a dad, but you don't treat me like a dad. So then I'll be a master, but you don't even treat me like a master. I don't get the honor or res- of a dad, and I don't get the respect or the fear of a master. Mm-hmm. And then the people say, respond to him. And, and that's something you're seeing in Malachi a lot. It's this, the Lord telling the people what, what he's heard them say. Mm-hmm. And some of that probably is because they've said it to Malachi. One of the roles of the prophet that often gets overlooked is not just to bring the message of God to the people, but we see it as early as Exodus 19, where Moses gathers the responses of the people and takes them back to the Lord. And so it seems like there's a little bit of that going on. Malachi bringing the message of the people. And then it seems like, maybe if you read in between the lines, that, the, that Malachi has taken what the people are saying back to the Lord and the Lord's repeating that. So he says, in, you see the first one of those here in verse 6. And you say, where have we despised thy name? And the Lord's response, you offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And you say, wherein have we polluted thee? And ye say the table table of the Lord is contemptible. 
Uh, and then and then he mentions in verse 8, you offer blind for sacrifice. Is that not evil? And if you offer lame and sick, is that not evil? And I, I think that the Lord's mentioning the lame, the blind, and the sick because those are the kind, not just polluted, moldy bread, but you're also bringing lame, blind, sick uh, sacrifices. And the Lord's saying, look, this is this is my problem right now. This is this is my issue with you. Your offerings, they're not what I've asked for. Yeah, and <clears throat> one of the things I was I was thinking, uh, teaching wise, te- teaching suggestions for a family or a class or whatever, I I've done no research to back this up. These Malachi <laughs> right here. Malachi asks so many questions. Per verse, this has got to be in the top five. In the scriptures, just even glancing at the page, you look at all of the question marks that the Lord is asking or that the people are asking. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that would be a great way. You can figure out how you're going to teach that specifically because that thought had just popped into my mind just now. But you look at all of these questions and you realize, what is the Lord really driving at? Malachi means messenger. What's the message the Lord is asking and why is he doing it through questions? What a cool connection to make because you're going to see Jesus do this all the time in the New Testament. The person who has all of the answers is Jesus. And he asks all of the questions. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, he's obviously not like, I really don't know. What do you think? Huh, like, I, I know what you think. And and I love that sometimes this is, um, it's a rhetorical way of teaching. We do this a lot. But it's also a way for the people to give an accounting. And so the other part of the teaching, you, you mentioned in verse 8, the blind, lame, and sick. And then 13 throws in torn as well. Um, I do a little categories. I give give the word to my kids or something like that and say, draw a torn sheep, draw a lame sheep, draw a sick sheep, whatever it is. And, and I would ask them this question, what what is the message that the people are sending the Lord? Because the Lord's getting a message from them. Mm-hmm. But and, and hopefully by this time of the Old Testament, we've, we remember that the reason they are sacrificing their perfect, their best, their firstborn, their male, all of those things is it, this is a representation of who Jesus is. Well, what are they saying Jesus is to them? He's the leftovers. He's the polluted bread. Nobody in the church wants to partake of sacrament that's polluted. Yeah. And you don't want to watch the priests up there spit their hands and then start breaking bread. Yep. But he's saying, that's what you're giving me. You're giving me your your leftover stuff. And and, uh, I had heard somebody tell me once that don't give the Lord just your spare time. Give him your prime time. That they're just giving them their spare offerings. Oh, I, well, I got to give him and him. and So let me give this one that just got hit by a car, and that's the sheep I'm going to give. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not the offering the Lord's looking for. And so to me, I, I think that the Lord is saying, you're ruining our relationship based on the sacrifice you're giving me, which teaches me the Lord cares a lot about my sacrifices because that's one of the big things that builds my relationship with him. If I can sacrifice great things to the Lord— it shows that he really is my father. I would do anything for my dad. I love him. I'd do anything for my kids. I love them. And and that idea of, of sacrifice and of taking care of them, that's what the Lord is saying, that you're not really viewing this the right way because of what you're giving me. Yeah, and he alludes to that in verse 8. He says, offer it to now unto thy governor. Give this to your political leader. Give this to your, you know, and and to draw this in, if I were if I were working with a group of young adults or, or teenagers, I would ask them, you know, if if you treated your friends like right now, just stop, if you treated your friends exactly the way you treated the Lord, how would how long would they be your friends? What would happen to that relationship? Would it yeah. get stronger? Would it get weaker? Um, if you take a look and just 
just take a look at a, a regular day and, and ask yourself, how often do you think about the Lord? How often do you, you know, what are the offerings that the Lord asks us to make today? And, it, and how does that relate to a relationship? Uh, because well, you could take that one step further. You could say, how are you doing this with your, with your employer? Yeah. Your governor, how are you doing this with the government? How are you doing this in your school classes? And you put that same idea of what emphasis are you putting there? Mm-hmm. And you'd start to see that it's pretty quick to see, it's pretty easy to see which relationships are the most important, especially for high school kids. Like it's, it's just, it's the ones they text the most. It's the ones they talk to. It's, it's the ones they mimic. It's the ones they dress like whatever. Um, and, and the Lord is saying, look, the purpose of the offer, and we're going to see this throughout the rest of this book. I, I know here we're talking about offerings in general. We're going to get to chapter three and he's going to say, all right, let's talk specifically about tithing, but it's not really about tithing. It's about Tithing is the example we're using of all of these other offerings. And the Lord is saying, look, the offerings is how you come to know me. That's your, your idea of this is how we connect. And so if you were to give leftover time to your best friend and you were to do that for two months, if you were to only talk to him when you had spare time, but when anything better was up, you, you gave them the cold shoulder, how long would they be your best friend? Yeah. Not very long. And and that's what the children of Israel are doing to God. And, and as a result, what's happening to their relationship? Their relationship with God is dwindling. And and so the Lord's saying, and, and I love the fact that he says, look, you would never offer these kinds of things to your governor because you know how he would react. You could never give, you know, fast forward several hundred years, you could never give Rome your crappiest offerings as your yeah. tax to the tax collector. Mm -hmm. They'd never accept it and no one would ever try it, but they're doing it to God, the most powerful being in the universe. Yeah. And that, and that's, that's really one of the reasons I think why the Lord is asking all of these questions. He's giving them an opportunity, not there's sometimes in the old Testament, some of these prophets come down pretty fierce and that's Mm -hmm. their language that they're choosing to use. And I, I think it's a great teaching tool that Malachi is using to sometimes when you ask a question of your kids, you know the answer. Mm-hmm. What were you thinking? The answer was nothing. You were I thinking. Wasn't thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't. Sorry, Dad. But you're giving them an opportunity to like really reflect. And the answer isn't really I wasn't thinking. It's I'm sorry. I I wasn't paying attention. I'm and it's, it's it a, causes a change yeah. for them. And it's that's a, the idea. It's the realization yes. that I wasn't thinking that I want as a dad. What were you thinking? I know you weren't thinking. I want you to know you weren't thinking. Connect the dots yourself. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I, I think that's uh, just you brought up chapter three. Let's just go over there um, in uh, in verse seven. It says, even from the days of your fathers, you're gone away from mine ordinances. It says this is not new. Mm-hmm. This is this has been a long time coming. And so I love that idea that you were talking about that excitement of the temple. It's very likely that when they first rebuilt the temple, they were gung ho. Yeah. You, you look at when a, when a temple is dedicated, temples filled. It's hard to get an appointment. It's brand new, and everyone's like, yeah, we want to go. And you go there for an open house, and they're like, you got to get tickets. And you're like, to walk through it? How do you need – and then a year later, you're like, I can go whenever I want. Whenever, yeah, It's always open. There's no line. And, and Always and, empty parking spots yeah. in, the, in the parking lot. Yeah, and I get a good parking spot. And, mm-hmm. and so the Lord is saying that, and then he says, you haven't kept them. And I love what he's trying to enforce them to them. This is the last part of seven. Return unto me, and I'll return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But she said, when shall we return? Well, here's your answer. Yeah. The Lord is going to say, they're like, well, how do we come back? Thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. Here are some chances for you to come back. We've talked about the offerings. 
let's dig into them a little bit more. Here's one example of one way you could continue to groan to the Lord and, and build your relationship with Him. And talk about tithing. Yep. And and when you're teaching this to little kids, that, there's a thousand ways to do this. Give them 10 Swedish fish or 10 Skittles or something and say, give them 10 and say, can I have one, please? Every little kid is like, yeah, you just get me easy. 10. That's easy. Yes. I get nine, you get one. Done. Done. And, and sometimes we, we get some of those things mixed up. And uh, these verses about tithing, I would, they really open up. Most families or most people have a good experience of understanding. I, I love tithing. For me personally, I've been blessed for paying my tithing, um, specifically, generally. Um, and this time of year used to be tithing settlement, and you'd settle your accounts. But I love that now that the church has kind of changed, not kind of, they changed the name, tithing declaration. declaration. Declare yourself as a, as a uh, what kind of tithe payer are you? Are you all in? And I think that's what Malachi's message is trying to get to them. Are you all in on this? Are, are you going to be here with me? And, and to point out some of these blessings um, in, in uh, 10, uh, it says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. So now we're getting some reasons. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive it. I'll rebu rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for he shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. I, I, when I taught this in my Old Testament class, um, I, I gave them just an opportunity to mark some phrases that they liked. And one girl said, I think verse 11 is about how God will protect me from Satan. I was like, I had never thought of it like that. What a cool thing. She said, I, I think the devourer is Satan, and he keeps me safe when I pay my tithing. And he blesses me for that. And I thought, you know, most of the time we're like, no, that means that if I pay my tithing, my house won't fall apart yeah. or my, my fields will give me a good yield. And she's saying, I, I think there's other blessings that way. Mm -hmm. And and I love that idea. Somebody um, once told me, they said, if you can't afford to pay a tenth, pay a fifth. Now, you have to think about that for a minute and do the math percentage. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't saying it. It takes us a minute. We're like, oh, only pay 5%. Good idea. That's not nope. what they said. They, this person was like, if you can't afford 10%, pay 20%. They're like, this is the Lord's math. It doesn't click for you, yep. but it clicks for him. He, op he makes it work. Those windows of heaven, and this is just kind of the nerd in me, windows of heaven are here. The very first chapter, it's the windows of heaven in Genesis 1. Yes. The, windows were the, the windows of heaven are the gaps in the firmament of God's creation. He did not seal them. He created windows to connect heaven and earth. So it was this idea that he could open them, he could, he could still see through them, that heaven and earth were not completely closed off from one another. So he says, I will open oh, the great. gaps in the firmament, and I'm, I can see you already, and I will pour blessings on you until you can't even handle blessings anymore, until you say, no more blessings. And I love this idea that heaven's not closed off when we sacrifice for the mm -hmm. Lord. And I, and I really like, I, this is a, a, a drum I keep beating, but... If you go back to verse 7, this starts with the question that the people ask, how do we get back to you? Tithing is the Lord's response. And I think sometimes we make the mistake and we use verse uh, 10 as we pay our tithing so that there will be meat in the storehouse. We pay our tithing to pay for temples or we pay our tithing to help fill the, the bishop's storehouse so he can take care of the needy or we do our fast offerings so that the Lord has every resource available to him. 
Yeah, <laughs> the Lord has no shortage of resources and, and has access to every natural resource on the planet if wealth was his purpose. The Lord, the Lord can turn rocks into bread. He needs no help. God needs no help feeding the 5,000. But he still calls the boy and says, hey, can I have your lunch? And it's not because he needed the lunch to make the It's because of what happened in the life of the little boy. And the Lord's answering the question, how do you return to me? Pay your tithing. And we misdirect and we forget about verse 7 and we say, oh, we pay tithing to put for all of these other temporal reasons. And the Lord's going, no, 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 you forgot. I said pay your tithing so that you could get back to me. You pay your tithing, you do your fast offerings as a way to get back to me. And then as the Lord continues, the Lord then says, and you also got to realize your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken so much against thee? You have said it's vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts. And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up and they that tempt God are even delivered. And the Lord says, yeah. If you're going to come back to me, we also got to we got to get on the same page here. Um, and I, I I shared last night, and I, I thought I think about this actually quite a bit. My sophomore year in high school, I'm playing. I, I'm I've made the varsity team, and I'm super excited to be there. But I just can't quite get into the into the the, the number one position. And I can't beat a certain kid on the golf team, and he he lives a very different lifestyle than I did. And even though I wasn't by any stretch of the imagination what you'd call, you know, I, what, what would be classified as a Peter Priesthood, I did, I think, what we most, what we do a lot of times, and we, we see deficiencies in the way he's living, and I'm not living those specific deficiencies, right. so therefore I'm more righteous. Uh-huh. The moat and the beam. I do. Yeah, like, <laughs> forget about everything I do wrong, Lord. Look at the one thing he does that I don't. And I remember taking that to the Lord in my really immature and self-centered, narcissistic prayer, saying... How you bless, why don't you bless me to get this number one golf position? I don't do X. And he does. And and so I guess it makes me feel a little better to know that the Old Testament people were saying the same. You can just see them taking their blind and their lame and their their wretched animals to the to the altar. And part of their justification is, is, well, he's not even offering any at all. And look at how well his flocks do, or look at how well his, his, his crops do. Um, you know, people cheat to get promotions and people lie to get grades and they just, they do that and they're going to do that. And they will always do that. And they may also receive the specific immediate reward and they're going to get the promotion and they're going to get the grade and you're not sometimes. And that is the harsh reality of mortality. And I think sometimes we hold God to a standard that he's never promised. I, I know personally several people that are frustrated with the Lord, even to the point of leaving the church and saying, I'm done. Because God hasn't given them some promised, some imagined promised blessing. So, for example, with tithing, um, people read these verses and, and they say, if I pay my tithing, then the windows of heaven will pour out a blessing. And they've... They've labeled what that blessing is. Yeah. That's financial. They've ordered the blessing yep. checklist. I, I want that one. I've paid my tithing, and now I don't ever want to struggle financially. And then when I struggle financially, and, and and now in their defense, part of that is because we've heard stories from general conference and pulpits of, 
my dad paid his tithing, and then that day in the mailbox, a check showed up. And I don't want to cast any shadow of doubt because those things happen. But sometimes other blessings come. I, 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 get, I stay healthy, and therefore I didn't get the, the, the health, the bill from the, the hospital that I would have gotten. There are, there are a number of ways that the Lord blesses us, and sometimes they have nothing at all to do with finances. Yeah. But because I've determined that that's how the Lord should bless me, and I didn't get that blessing, then I get frustrated with the Lord. And I, and I, I talk to my kids and my students, and, and I, I talk about, you've set a, you're holding God to a standard he's never accepted or committed to. And, and that's like you trying to be both sides of the bargain. You, you can't, we can't do that. And so, but really often we do. I, we taught last night and I've, I shared, I told you a little bit about what happened, but we're building this house and we've got a natural gas line that's got to get put in. And it's, the tractor's got to be returned this morning. And we still had probably 200 feet of, 300 feet of, of trench that needed to be backfilled. Well, we finished our thing and I went out. It was dark. It was snowing. I've got a little white car with not great tires on it and no four-wheel drive. So I had to park it pretty close to the road so I wouldn't get stuck in the snow that was accumulating uh, and that had already fallen over the last week or so. Well, I'm driving to get to the last part of the trench and I've got the bucket on this excavator moved over here to the side and I drill my car. And I'm not joking. The first thing that came to my mind, after we taught this, <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind was, well, it didn't do me any good to go and do that thing just at the board. <laughs> what good did that do? I should have just. <laughs> it was, I could just see God up in heaven going, really? <laughs> like, you just. You said this. these verses. You're the one that pointed this out. And and I remember being frustrated. Now, it doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. It doesn't mean I, I. And I got frustrated. And I, you know, I'm still. I, it's discouraging. I, that's a bill I didn't need. Yeah. Um. And maybe I'll start paying 20%. Like, <laughs> May 5th. But the Lord's saying, the blessings that are coming, they may not come right now. And he continues on to say in verse 16, Then they that feared the Lord spake one, often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And now this is his response. I've heard you say that it doesn't do you any good to serve me. I heard you, Brian, down in that tractor. Um and the Lord's response is, I've got a book of remembrance, and it was written before him for him, for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And I love that. Those that respect the Lord and those that take time just to think about him. And then the Lord says, and they, those that are in the book of remembrance, those that have taken time to think about me and, and build my relationship, they'll be mine in the day that I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son. And this is a place where you will connect the Old Testament to the Doctrine and Covenants. Section 101, when the Lord starts talking about chastening those that he loves and the reason for it and everything else. Um, and the Lord says, then return. And that's the time when you want to decide. You never decide who's the winner in the third quarter. Right? You remember the great comeback with New England Patriots and the Atlanta Falcons? Yeah. Greatest comeback in yeah. Super Bowl history. Totally unfathomable. I don't remember what the fi what the score was at half, and but at one point they're twenty eight three or something. Yeah, wasn't it, it? at one point they're down twenty five points yeah. in the third quarter. No one should have come back from that. Mm -hmm. If you give out the Lombardi Trophy in the third quarter, Matt Ryan has a ring on his finger and probably an MVP. Mm -hmm. But you don't. You never look at the. You never determine the winner until the last second is off in the fourth quarter. 
And that's what the Lord's reminding us here. Like, don't get upset at halftime. This is just halftime. And you'll look around and there are going to be people who cheat and steal and, and take advantage of you. And it seems like they're getting away with it. But it's not the end of the fourth quarter yet. Yeah. And, and that, that idea that you mentioned here in 17, they shall be mine. I will spare them. It doesn't mean that you're being spared necessarily right now, but I will. And and then to connect that idea here in four, the, the chapter breaks weren't here when Malachi's mm-hmm. writing this. This yeah, is this is later on. So to just add that together, for the for behold the day cometh, not yet. It's still coming. That shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stu- at, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Now, we always connect that to family history, and we should. And, you know, the roots being our um, where we're coming from, and, and the, the branches are posterity. And I love this idea, though, that the Lord is saying, this this is the fourth quarter. This is your reward. This is this is the end. What do you want now? Do you want to be the number one golfer? Do you want to, your car not to blow up, or do you not want to burn at the second coming? Yep. Which one? You, I'll give you whatever you want. If you really want to do this little order form from heaven— I think Oliver's like, uh, please let me be worthy of the second coming. Mm-hmm. And and we mentioned last night that a tree that doesn't have roots and a tree that doesn't have branches is just a log or a stick, and you just burn those in campfires. Yep. It, it can't do anything. A tree that doesn't have those two things doesn't survive. And to connect that to the family, to connect that to uh, our eternal families, um, our, our heavenly family, all of that, that if we're not really connected to the Lord, if we don't really have a, uh, a, a great family eternally, then we're just sticks. Yeah. And, and the Lord's like, the, all, all that you have left is this. And so therefore, five and six end with, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And then, and this is one of the verses that Moroni quotes to Joseph, and Joseph says, but it's different. He added, he added things to it. And then section 128, um, uh, when Joseph's writing that revelation, um, he, he expounds it even more, that he says, they without us can't be perfect. And that's pretty obvious that we have to do temple ordinances for other people who have passed on without the gospel, and that's family history work, and that's connecting families. But then he gives the other side of it, which I, admittedly well over half my life, I had no idea what he was talking about. He said, but you without them can't be perfect. I'm like, yeah, but they're dead. How can I not be perfect without them? Yeah, they. I see my role in their yes, perfection. that's easy they to They need those ordinances, but I've got my ordinances. So, so what I think role did they play for me? Yeah, yeah how does how does my exaltation, how does my, my eventual or my perfection, my pending perfection, how does that rest on the dead? Why am I dependent on them? It kind of seems like a one-way, kind of say, almost like the relationship between me and the Savior is one way. If I'm not careful, I might look at my connection to the dead as being that kind of, uh, that, that, that singular in purpose. My, the only, our only relationship, our only connection is what I bring to you. And then that Doctrine and Covenants verse totally throws out of the window and says, no, 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 no. Your relationship to Jesus, yeah, that's one way. <laughs> Your relationship to the dead, though, you, you depend on them. You, you, it, it, they're necessary for your exaltation. 
And I, I like what you what you said last night about why that is. What? How is it? If you were to try and explain that to a class, how would you explain? I I think to me, I, to boil it down, just just simple, simple, simple is this that without our ancestors passing away, there's no chance for us to go back to the temple again. There's no opportunity for for us to be able to go and review those ordinances, to spend time in the Lord's house. That the, the reason the Lord is building these temples and wanting them to go back is not so that God's like, thanks for being in my house. Yeah, he, this he, makes he, me a better God. I'm, I'm a better, uh, exactly, and, mm-hmm. and that's not the case. It's you are now better. Every single one of us, that in a small way or a big way, when we really are doing the ordinances and sacrifices and covenants and paying our tithing the right way and going to the temple the right way and and attending church the right way, that we're different. We're not the same. And I love that idea that when I was 18, I loved the temple when I received my endowment. It was so great. I, I had very little clue what was going on, but I really liked it. I knew I was in the right place. I was a little confused and just like everybody else, but I was, I I liked it. And I'm glad now that, that, you know, all these years later, I can continue to go back and and I appreciate it more and more and more. And by that, on a smaller scale, baptism is the same thing at eight. I, I knew I did the right thing. I didn't know all the symbolism of it. And I didn't know all the answers to gospel questions. I, I had a, a little little kindling of a testimony inside of me that has been nourished and fed because I've had chances to continue to grow it by going to the temple, by allowing uh, myself to have my hearts turned to my father's and therefore also my eternal father as well. Yeah, yeah I think it's – I I think – and maybe it's human nature. Maybe this is why we do it. But often when God asks us to do something, there's this assumption that because and maybe it's because this is how we treat each other. When we ask someone to do something for us, it's for us. Mm-hmm. Um, when I ask my kids to take care of the the puppies, it's it's usually because, you know, we've got this litter of eight week old golden doodles. And, and my daughter, Grace, has been amazing for this whole litter, for for, for the whole eight, eight weeks from birth to now at taking care of them. And Part of the reason I've asked her to do it is because I can't do it myself. But God's not that way. I, I think as we go back and look at this thread that runs throughout all of Malachi, everything God asks us to do, whether that's offerings at the temple, whether that's financial tithing and offerings, or whether that's our family history work, it's because of what it does to us. Yeah. Um, I had just I, I've had some really incredible temple experiences where I've been asked to go and do do temple work for people I knew in life. Um, one of them was an uncle um, that I was close to. We I hunted with him a lot. He bought me my first bow, taught me how to shoot it, took me archery hunting. Um, I went camping with him a, a lot. Him and him and my aunt and and and, uh, and my cousin and, and snowmobiling and we I did, we just did a lot with them. Uh, we had a lot of interests and uh, common interests and uh, but because of family decisions really early decisions that were made by his parents when he was young. They, he was never act, really active in the church after he was baptized and might have received, I believe he received, had received the Aaronic priesthood. But at some point in there, mom and dad made a decision and they never went. And he kind of led that life of a, of a rambunctious, wild um, teenager and it led to a, a life of addiction. And later on in his life, he met, he met my aunt and they got married and, um, and they, they had two daughters together and my aunt had had a, a son from a previous marriage and 
And so this little family is kind of, you know, they're, they're existing and they're, they're growing closer. And then there comes a point where verse six, the heart of the fathers turned to the children and my uncle started talking with my aunt and they started realizing we want this to be a forever kind of a thing. And he started struggling to break these addictions and tried to get ready for the temple. And I remember them coming to our house to stay at our house when they went to a conference and, um, and, uh, and for whatever reason that just breaking those addictions was, was too much for him. And, and his life came to a tragic end and, uh, and, uh, well, um, I remember a year later, my aunt calling me saying, I think, I think you're the one that should do the temple work. And I was living in Utah at the time. And I remember going to the family history center and saying, here's the, here's the name of my uncle. And this is when he was born. And, um, them pulling up his records and finding everything that was, that had been done and what needed to be done. And, and I'm telling you, there's, that's a different temple trip when you're sitting in there and it's his name on the card and, and, and you have these memories coming through and, and not everybody can have that. I, we're, some of us are generational members of the church. Um, not all of us can have that experience, but that trip changed me. It, it was, it was a different temple trip. Like it meant something more. And I, I think sometimes when we talk about the heart turning, the, the hearts turning to fathers and fathers turning to children, it, that I think the Lord is saying, this is what I want to have happen. This is what, this is the change I want in you. I want you to, I want you to see the needs of other people and put them above your own. And as you go to the temple and you do these, this temple work, as you engage in family history in ways, maybe that you've never done before, even if you didn't live with the person and know them, there is something incredible that happens when you search out the name, when you find their stories and and start putting pieces together. Um, there's something cool. I, I watch my, my mother-in-law as a, as a genealogist and has a degree. I didn't even know you could get a degree in this. But <laughs> I, and then all of a sudden I find out that my sister-in-law's mom has like a graduate degree. <laughs> I didn't even know you could. I thought you sat down and looked for green temples. Um, and But my mother-in-law tells stories about like searching for, for names and dates and and that there's people behind him and, and the excitement that happens when you find this child that you've heard rumors of, but you never had any evidence. And then all of a sudden it's there and there's a name and there's a reference with a birthday. And now all of a sudden we can do that, that work. This is the end of Malachi. I think is, is Malachi is a great summary of all of the gospel. And that is as the Lord, I'm where you want to be. And I'm going to set you on a path that's going to include the, what President Nelson has referred to as the, the covenant path, right? It's going to involve covenants and ordinances. It's going to involve a lot of repenting and a lot of changing. It's going to involve a lot of humility. And and sometimes you're going to be left to wonder if I'm, you know, giving you what I thought you would. But at the end of the path, you become like me. Yeah. And, and that idea of um, Joseph Smith once said about in verse 6, turning should be translated as binding or sealing mm -hmm. that, that the Lord is saying you need to have your hearts bound together. And, and that experience you told about your uncle, y your hearts are together with yeah. somebody you love and you, somebody you care about. That wasn't a lame or a blind or a sick or a torn offering you gave. That was everything. And the Lord sees that and he says, that's why, that's why you just don't, it's not just your spare time. It's your prime time. It, it's all that you have. And that idea then that the Lord here in verse six is ending with our hearts. 
you have this whole this whole book that God's like, I care about your heart. I care about what you're becoming, not just what you do. This is not a checklist church. This is not a checklist gospel. It's about what you are becoming, truly deep down becoming. And and what's neat about these verses in five and six is these are some of the only ones that are repeated in all the books of scripture. That's mm-hmm. it's the message that Gabriel tells Zacharias in the temple of turning hearts and uh, fathers to children, and that's what John's doing, and that's what Jesus is doing. It's repeated in section two in the Doctrine and Covenants. The Lord comes back to the Nephites and explains this to them, that you realize that this is everywhere in the scriptures because this is the purpose. It's to unite us as a family to return to God, and that is the number one reason why God calls prophets. He gives us messages. He has us build temples. He has a sacrifice. It's to help us return to him because of and, and through Jesus Christ. Yep. And in, that, in family unit. Yeah. And and that to me is the a big takeaway of the Old Testament that I've loved. Yeah. Well, I it's I it, it is I, it's hard to close the page. Close the book at the end or, or swipe to the New Testament, I guess. <laughs> Matthew one. <laughs> um, it says the end of the prophets and and you know, as Latter day Saints, we're grateful that it's not the end of the prophets, it's not the end of of, of prophetic keys that continue on. Um, there's this fascinating time of period, or period of time now for 400 years that kind of goes dark, yeah. the the scriptural dark ages, uh, where and, and there's some great um, apocryphal writings about the Maccabees and the yeah. things that happen between now and, and maybe between now and, and January you can you know if you want to jump on and search Maccabees and read a little bit there's about that. There's some in the Bible dictionary you can look up apocrypha. Yep. But and we're gonna take a break off. We'll we'll spend some time with with. Christmas and come follow me, but we're not going to do a podcast. We won't do a, a video for that one just because, you know, we're going to get to Matthew one and Luke one and two, uh, Christmas. pretty quick, <laughs> and we'll talk about Christmas in January. And you'll probably already do those things. You already have those traditions in your family, so we're going to take a week off, and then starting uh, January, we're going to fire this back up, yep, and uh, and have this start going. We'll we'll start a New Testament playlist on YouTube and and uh, and start down a new path, a new journey with some new scriptures. Yep. So. So thank you for joining us and, and being a part of this scripture study. This is uh, this is the scriptures are true, yep. and and they point us to the Savior. Thanks. We'll see you uh, next year in the, in a new book. Thanks again for joining us on Take a Second for Come Follow Me, Brother Black and myself want to emphasize that in this episode or any other episode, there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Brother Black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about Scripture and and on our own life experiences as it relates to the Gospel of Jesus Christ and, and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights, but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more, that uh, maybe it might open up the scriptures a little bit to you. So thanks again for joining us on Take a Second, and we will see you in our next episode.